Hebrews 11 verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the approach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented and these are some of the most wonderful words in scripture of whom the world was not worthy they wandered in deserts and mountains in dens and caves of the earth and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us Amen. May God add his own blessing to that reading of his own precious word. Well, as Paul mentioned in his uh, email going around today, I'm going to hopefully start a series in the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges, I don't think is at the top of many people's lists as the subject for Bible study. Indeed, the uh, well-known commentator Dale Ralph Davis and his preface to his commentary on the book of Judges makes this comment and he says this the church in brackets in general has a problem with the book of Judges it is so earthy so puzzling so primitive so violent in a word he says so strange that the church can um, scarcely stomach as with many Old Testament books he says the sentiment of the church seems to be 
If we just study the epistles long enough, maybe it will go away. The church has her way of dealing with embarrassing scriptures, he says. Ignore it. Yet that is difficult to do with the book of Judges. It really is, he says, and I hope as we progress through the studies, we will find that it is really interesting. And he concludes this paragraph by saying, only people who take tranquilizers before sitting down can doze off while reading this book. Anybody taking their tranquilizers this evening? No. So perhaps just to put the book of Judges into its context, we need to look, I think, at the events in the nation's history leading up to this particular period in the history of the people of Israel, which we're going to study this evening. We go back far enough to the... Uh, people of Israel coming out of Egypt. We read there in um, Hebrews about Moses and uh, how he brought the people of Israel out. And so the people of Israel had come out of Egypt and as they had been promised them, they were setting out on a journey to a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that would uh, meet all their dreams, all their hopes, a land that will provide them with a comfortable living, it seems. But as we know, the journey had its trials, it had its tribulations, and under Moses, because of the disobedience of the people, the journey to this wonderful land lasted 40 years longer than it should have done. But at last, this new generation, as we know, the generation that came out of Egypt, perished in the wilderness, a new generation grew up and this new generation under Joshua eventually arrived and crossed the River Jordan to, and I like this phrase, to take possession of the promised land of Canaan. You know, I think if you remember back to the studies we did on Abraham, we came to that point where Abraham and Lot had stood on the top of that mountain and Lot had made his choice the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, go in and take possession of this land. And we know that Abraham was told that for every step he took, that would be his possession. For every mile he covered, for every hill that he climbed, and every valley that he walked, would become his possession. And in many ways, this is the situation now facing the people of Israel as they cross the Jordan. And of course, as they cross the Jordan, we know well the battle at Jericho, the battle at Ai, the early battles, and um, the life of Joshua, as I think Paul's mentioned, we're perhaps going to look at in the coming months. I think Pete's going to do the first study, says he, looking at Pete, so I won't go into any of that, won't go into any of that, and we'll move straightly, quickly, to where the book of Judges begins, uh, to the end of Joshua's life. And what we read at that time in the history of Israel is that uh, much of the land remained unconquered. Much of the land remained unconquered. You see, there were still many Canaanites and there were many Amorites and many Hittites still living in the land. These are nations which should have been driven out. And had Israel been obedient to God's command to drive them out, 
and he would have, of course, driven them out on behalf of the Israelites. It meant that the Israel would indeed, for a few generations, for several generations, they would suffer from civil and political and spiritual unrest and uncertainty. And certainly these generations of unrest were visited on the people of God through the following something like 350 years covered by the events in the books of the Judges. We note the fact, however, that God remains faithful to the people throughout the whole of the book. We just look in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Let me read them to you. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the, with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. And he goes on to condemn them. And he says, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be as thorns in your side and their gods shall be a snare to you. You have not obeyed my voice. I will not drive them out. They shall be a thorn in your side and their gods will be a snare to you. And it is, as I said, as we progress through this book of Judges, that this generation and succeeding generations, because there are many generations through the 350 years, there was, as we shall see, civil, political and spiritual unrest. And uh, some, uh, some of these years they begin with the death of Joshua, at the end of chapter 2 there, verse 7, we see, So all the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnaheres in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. So, this is a generation that Joshua brought in, is a generation that eventually passed away. And what we shall see as we go through the book again, there is a recurring cycle. It's fundamental to the uh, nation of Israel. It's a recurring cycle, a recurring pattern of behaviour on the part of the people and it can be summed up in four words each beginning with S and the four words are this sin, subjugation, supplication and salvation the people sinned they were brought into subjection they cried out they brought their supplication to God and rather in a sense than salvation we find they have deliverance in order to complete the four S's, we, we use the word salvation. But it was more deliverance, and we'll perhaps come to look at that. This cycle of behaviour begins after the death of Joshua, after the death of presumably his captains and, and his officials. Joshua had exercised godly rule over the people. Joshua had governed and ruled 
and led the people in accordance with God's instructions, in accordance with God's plan and purpose. But it seems that his influence, his leadership, the influence of his leadership soon fades. Initially, as recorded in chapter 1, verses 1 to 26, the people of Israel continued to work to rid the land of the Canaanites. Uh, we read of the victories obtained by the tribes of Judah and Simeon. However, we continue to read it's not long before their enthusiasm and their desire of obedience begins to wane. Uh, chapter 1, verse 21 says this. I'll just find that. Yes, verse 21. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Israel today. The only success that we read is the um, victory of the house of Joseph uh, over those um, people in the city which was formerly Luz. But apart from that, as we read down from verse 27 all the way down, we see that, uh, uh, that each of the tribes failed to drive out the inhabitants. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean, nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites, nor did Zebulun, nor did Asher all these things, nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Heres in Aetjelon and Sha'albim. Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. So the overall picture of these early years of the people of Israel, once Joshua died, it was one of abandoning and also uh, giving up the struggle to clear the land, giving in uh, to the pleasantness of the land perhaps and their desire to avoid uh, conflict, their desire to live comfortable, peaceful lives. And so what we see in these early chapters, we see the beginning of the moral and the spiritual decline we see the intermingling and the integration and the adopting of the religion and the practices of the evil tribes and nations within the land of Canaan. And again, as we say, reading down those verses, we see this decline spreading throughout all the tribes. It wasn't just limited to one, but all the tribes gave up. They settled, they lived amongst, and they inherited and they included themselves throughout the whole of the promised land. And what we see is that as they mingled with the heathen around them, they left off worshipping Jehovah. They left off um, serving Jehovah. And they served the Baal. And they served the Ashtaroth. I've mentioned before, I think, in the studies in Abraham, a man called Dr. Alfred Edishon. And he comments, he says, that such a people who could only learn in the school of sorrow. National unfaithfulness was followed by national judgment. The cycle of sin, followed by subjection, followed by supplication, followed by salvation. Jehovah, the God of the people in his mercy, always turned to hear them. 
uh, when they called and he raised up for them as we shall see deliverers time after time and again we're told this was a generation who had not known the wars of the early conquests of Canaan chapter 2 verse 10 there as we uh, just read of the death of Joshua when all that generation had been carried to their father gathered to their fathers another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals now at the end of chapter 2 and leading into chapter 3 we see recorded God's plan uh, for this new rebellious generation verse 20 of chapter 2 then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he said because this nation has transgressed my covenant which I commanded their fathers and has heeded my voice I will also no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died so that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. And so it goes on. We see that the anger of the Lord is roused against the people of Israel they of course brought this upon themselves they rejected the easy path of obedience they rejected serving the Lord they rejected trusting him and going into battle with him at their head they rejected the consequent victories that would flow from being obedient they failed to clear the land of the religious and moral evil of the Canaanites and my goodness, were the Canaanites morally and uh, spiritually bankrupt? Uh, someone comments that uh, the land of Canaan was the source of much evil throughout the entire Middle East and spread westward. Uh, the practices of the people were such that other nations were drawn into such evil practices. And because of their disobedience, the people of Israel were to be tested by the Lord to see whether they would obey, whether they would be obedient, whether they would trust in the Lord, as they would now be forced, they would now be forced to live with and amongst the horrendous evil practices of the Canaanite religions. So what was set before them now was the outworking of a warning in Joshua chapter 23 where they it was stated again that if they would be faithful and obedient God would bless them but if they were unfaithful then trials and tribulations would come upon them unfaithfulness would lead to terrible national disaster but again again as we see throughout this book as we 
begin later perhaps to look at the individual situations and the individual judges that were raised up against these situations of the national disaster and the national decline there is an alternative response isn't there from almighty god we find the contrast of the absolute and unchanging faithfulness of the lord the unfailing pity and loving kindness of almighty god toward his people when israel was brought low and turned again to the lord he raised them up judges deliverers call them what you like and he through these people delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judges now it's interesting to note as one commentator tells us that i think it's dale ralph davis in his commentary that when we come to hear israel supplicating to the lord when they were calling upon the lord the hebrew word doesn't have the sense of repentance as we might be led to think that they repented of the evil they've done the word implies just the fact that they were calling for deliverance and perhaps this is reinforced by the fact that so often time and time again they went back to their wicked ways there was no true repentance all that they were praying for was deliverance uh, from the oppression from the evil in which they found themselves and it's in a sense this this heightens the view that we have of the mercy and the pity and the grace of almighty god that despite their evil ways and in many ways despite their lack of repentance he was still willing to deliver them time and time again by raising up these deliverers these leaders to accomplish these victories now as i said I hope in future studies to look more closely at the individual judges, who they were, what was their mission, and in many ways the effect of their mission on the relationship of the people of Israel to God, and also, and perhaps much more importantly, the relationship of God, their Heavenly Father, to the people of Israel. You see, in our studies of these events and the respective judges appointed for each occasion, two themes will emerge. Firstly, as I've said, the relationship of the people to God, and secondly, the relationship of God to the people. Now, what we've looked at in these opening chapters is very much the introduction part of the book of Judges. The structure of the book itself uh, falls into three categories really the introduction uh, chapter 1 verse 1 through to chapter 3 and uh, verse 6 and then from chapter 3 verse 7 through to chapter 16 we find what we might describe as the meat of the book uh, the various raising up of the judges to meet the dangerous and difficult situations which the Lord brought upon them to show them that they would not be allowed to continue in idolatry. They would not be allowed to continue in these sinful ways. These were his people and his chastising was designed to bring them back to himself, to make them see 
uh, their ways of wickedness and to bring them back to themselves. And chapters 3, verse 7 through to chapter 16, verse 31, uh, these are six events recorded there, six passages covering the life and the work and the deeds of the 12 judges that are listed there. Of course, there are standout judges like Gideon and like Samson. There are others perhaps you've never heard of. Uh, there's a judge called Tola. Uh, you may have heard of Jair, Ibzen, Elon, Abdon. Perhaps some of us have never heard of them. But these are men. We might describe them as unsung heroes. But of course, they're not unsung because they're here in the scriptures. Some of their names, as we read together in Hebrews, have been brought forward. And so here we have, through these chapters, these 13 chapters to 16, verse 31, the meat of the book and the events of the, of the um, judges themselves. And then the remaining four chapters, chapters 17 to 21, have been described as a form of appendix. In fact, it's, there are two appendices. And uh, although the events contained in these chapters are here at the end of the book, as we look at the cross-referencing of the events in the scriptures, we find that both these series of events in chapters 17 to 21 obviously took place at the times of the beginning of the book of Judges in the early years. Uh, so chronologically, the events in the last four chapters take place right at the beginning of the book. And these two appendices principally deal with two groups of events, namely the idolatry of the tribe of Dan. We read there at, uh, in chapter 1 that uh, the Amorites would not allow the Danites to live in their inheritance and so they were driven north and the Danites uh, entered into much idolatry. And the second appendix deals with the, if you like, internal civil war between the Benjamites and the other tribes. But you see, the overriding truth here is that throughout the whole of the book, we see a very sad and a very sorry tale of decline. First, religious decline. Second, moral decline. Thirdly, spiritual decline. And alongside the nation's decline, and here's a very interesting thought that one of the commentators brings out, we also see a decline in the spiritual character of the judges themselves. You see, the early uh, judges, Othniel and Deborah, were godly people. And the last of the judges, Samson, was completely immoral, licentious and lascivious, lustful. And so we see alongside the decline of the nation, uh, the decline of the moral standing, the spiritual standing, perhaps, of the judges themselves. But what we will see, I hope, is that the judges were raised up by God himself to be representatives of Israel, representatives of its faith and its hope, as well as representatives of its sin and its decay. Whatever these judges achieved, exclusive of their own individual nature, whatever they achieved, they achieved by faith. How often do we read that the Spirit of the Lord came upon so-and-so? Indeed, Samson, for all his great deeds and for all the uh, unpleasant attitude, aspects of his character, 
what he achieved, he achieved through the faith of God's gift to him as a Nazarite. And we read again and again that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Hence we find several of the judges, as we have read, listed amongst the heroes of faith. And the writer, I love this introduction, he says, what more shall I say? As he, he's listed Abraham and Moses and the other great Noah and all these. What more shall I say? And then he goes on to include men like Gideon, Barak and Samson and Jephthah. What a sad case Jephthah was. Also of David and Samuel and the prophets. And he goes on, who through faith subdued kingdoms, this is the story of judges, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the volume of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. As we look at this, what amazing testimony that is to the work of faith in the lives of these individuals. Take a man like Gideon, unsure, needing assurance, requiring confirmation. Again, through to a man like Samson, as we've said, indulging in the flesh of the flesh. God took them and turned them into men who brought deliverance and hope to a wayward and to a disobedient people. And then perhaps as I referenced at the beginning, one of the outstanding, perhaps one of the other outstanding features of this book is the violence and the brutality uh, that's recorded in it. We do, as Ralph David, Dale Ralph Davis indicated, we do tend to shy away from such narratives, from such thoughts. And when we think of the mutilation that was visited on people and all sorts of terrible things, but I think we have to accept these things and the reason why we do is that it, such passages are designed to highlight, to bring into sharp relief the brutality and the ugliness and the violence that sin has done to God's creation. How violent and brutal and sin is in God's eyes that he would have such a strong, such an aggressive uh, approach to dealing with it. It is important for us to take notice of this, isn't it? To deal with sin aggressively and thoroughly and we certainly have the standard of this treatment set out for us in the work on the cross. There was no more brutal death, was there? No more ugly death than the death by crucifixion. The Romans were particularly uh, adapt at uh, inventing ways to inflict death upon their captors and surely as we look at the fact that it took the death on the cross of the son of God in human flesh to deal once and for all with the ugliness and the brutality and the deep deep problem of sin and so these characters in Judges give us a very clear picture don't they, of human nature. So much goodness, so much blessing was set before the people of Israel. If only, if only they would be obedient. 
but still they desired to be disobedient and still they brought judgment upon themselves they brought trials and tribulations upon themselves how much easier how much more comfortable and even how much to some degree how much more prosperous would their lives have been had they been obedient to God's instructions for them but again throughout the book as much as we see the sin and the ugliness and the brutality we see through the book that they were not forgotten by God nor were they deserted by God and although time and time again punished for their rebellion and for their disobedience uh, they were brought to the stage where they had to cry to a merciful and to a gracious God to deliver them and in his faithful way he delivers them and not only does he deliver them but as we look at the lives of the judges we see that having delivered them he grants the nations long periods of peace and rest it's important also to note as we come to a conclusion that these periods of rest only lasted as long as the particular judge was alive and amongst the people and we read again and again that once that particular judge had died the people of Israel quickly returned to the ways of worldliness and idolatry and so as we look at this and these events that took place hundreds even thousands of years ago we see don't we that the heart and the nature of man has not changed Men are still primarily attracted to the things of this world, to the things of time, the things of sense, what we can see and touch and feel and know. But alongside that, we still see, don't we, at work in the world today, the grace and the mercy and the faithfulness of an almighty God and of his Son, who has redeemed a people unto himself. And one of the phrases that keeps recurring in the book of Judges is this, there was not a king in Israel. And it was only through the God-appointed judges that the Israel was firstly delivered and secondly, as it were, kept on the straight and narrow path. But for us, we have a king, don't we? We have a king, one who is eternal, our saviour Jesus Christ, one who is the same yesterday today and forever and surely then one of the first lessons we can learn perhaps from this introduction this overview to the book is that we can apply to ourselves today this despite the brutality of the sin in the world around us and how we are godly people offended by what is put in front of us today the evil that is put in front of us despite in many ways the response of our own indwelling sin we should learn that as long as that king is amongst us our deliverer the one who dwells within us and is amongst us so long as he is there then we can find that same deliverance we can find that same peace and we can find that same rest and just to close with the words of the hymn writer Robert Robinson he says and this is very apt for each of us as individuals. Oh, to grace, our greater debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind 
my wandering heart to thee prone to wander lord i feel it prone to leave the god i love take my heart oh take and seal it seal it from thy courts above if only if only that had been the attitude of the people of israel well may god bless his